Well, praise the Lord, Church of Omaha. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord all over this place and just magnify the Lord for a moment. We thank you, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. Lord, we lift you up and we magnify you in this place. I'd like to welcome everybody in Jesus' name to our first word here this morning. Uh, thank you all for making it a priority to be in church this morning, whether, whether you come here by yourself or, or you come here with a loved one or, or you come here with your family. Thank you. Uh, and I want to shout out to those who are joining us uh, online here this morning, and I'm thankful that we have the ability to stream these for people to watch online. Amen? Amen. If you are joining us online and you haven't visited the Church of Omaha yet, we would love to see you here one day, and I would love to get to know you and can't wait to meet you in person. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and I have a longer passage here, so we can, we can remain seated while we read that. Matthew chapter 7, and when you've got it, say amen. All right. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good, bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit." A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven." Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And, excuse me, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonder, wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every man that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, excuse me, I, I didn't give you this, but... We're ending with verse 27 then. Amen. And as you are closing your Bibles, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer together in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful, that which is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirits and of joints and marrow. Lord, I pray for every hearer of your word here this morning that we would all be both hearers and doers of your word and put these things into action. Lord Jesus, I thank you for allowing me to be your vessel. Help me, Lord, to be nothing more and nothing less than just that for you today and your church. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Amen. From this passage, I felt a leading of the Lord 
to teach and preach on this topic. Right or wrong, the choice is yours. Right or wrong, the choice is yours. Jesus calls us throughout all of the parables that he teaches, as well as through the words of others as we read through the entirety of Scripture, to choose the right path. To choose the right path. Whether that be by directly speaking about it, or alluding to it in one way, or giving what the alternative would look like if we don't. Whether you are one that has unsaved loved ones, uh, unsaved neighbors, unsaved friends, whether you are a parent, a grandparent, or a great-grandparent, whether you are an aunt or an uncle, whether you are a brother or a sister, whether you were born into a family that has been living for God for 30-plus years, or you were just born again hours ago and you're the first in your family, there may be and hopefully is a desire in each of you to see everyone choose and walk this right path. But this morning I have felt to have us look inwardly at what we see in ourselves and how we must be certain of our own, how we must be sure that we are walking that right path and we are choosing to walk that path. You see, choosing the right way to be usually is the more difficult way to go. It's not meant to be easy. It's not meant to be the easy way. It's not meant to be the way you can just go and do by yourself. In fact, you can't do this road, this way, this path by yourself. You can't do this without the help of anyone. But part of the reason staying on this path can become difficult is storms. Everybody say storms. And I'm not talking about thunderstorms, although it is a good way to look at it, but the storms of life. The storms of life. And, you know, storms are a common thing that happen in life. We go through storms. We go through these trials, these things. They, they will come our way whether we expect them or are prepared for them. There may be warning signs that an observer may recognize, but the inattentive may at first fail to notice the changes in these weather conditions. No one seems to be able to predict fully the intensity of the storm or the damage it may cause. A strong gust, or wind, a, a strong gust of wind may turn into a strong windy storm at a moment's notice, without any warning. A hurricane may be downgraded and become no more than a heavy gale. One area may be drenched with rain, while the other, just a few miles away, may have got nothing more than a light drizzle. This week, at least where I was at in Omaha, there was a pretty good storm that passed through. I think most, if not all, of Omaha experienced that during that 20-minute period that it came through or so. I was on my way home from work one afternoon and the drive was still pretty clear until I got to the interstate. I was driving along and the raindrops got bigger and bigger and more rapid 
and more and more and more, and they increased, and I could see little spots of sleet in the rain. There were these little frozen things in the rain. And then the droplets increased in size and density to the point that my windshield wipers couldn't keep up, to the point that I could not see in front of me in the middle of the day. I couldn't see taillights or anything. It was, it was terrible. It was getting to the point that, that like I said, I just couldn't, couldn't see, couldn't see where I was going. This storm, it, it was not a good thing. It made me feel very uncomfortable. Then, moments later, literally two or three minutes later, I got off the expressway and onto the next road, and the rain lightened up substantially. The sun began to peer through the clouds. Relief at last. A storm is a great metaphor for the severe circumstances that sometimes occur in our lives. If I were to go around the room and talk with each of you, at one time or another, you may have expressed to me a storm-like situation that you were going through. Sometimes without, or excuse me, sometimes with a warning, sometimes you have a warning of it, but other times without a moment's notice. They can be discouraging and even heartbreaking. Whatever that storm is for you in every point of our lives, no matter how bright or dark our skies may be, we must determine through it all, yes, even through those storms, to make the right choices, to choose the right path, which, as I just said, is more easily said than done. In the past, many of us have created our own storms. I know I did. As sinners, we lived selfishly. We walked, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount that we read just a portion of, Jesus taught that there was a better way to walk, a way that brings a real satisfaction to our hearts and pleases God. This is what we can understand as the narrow way, and, and not many are willing to walk this path. This was the rugged route that Christ chose to follow, and it led him to a cross. Following Jesus and his divine principles laid out in his word in Scripture will hardly remove all the painful circumstances. In fact, it may add some new problems. In John 16, we read the words of Jesus when he says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. But we don't just stop there because Jesus continues, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is so much to be gained by choosing to serve Christ. He promised peace to his followers and he promised everlasting life. We will face difficult situations as we walk with the master, but I'm so thankful to have him. <laughs> I'm so thankful to have him to get me through those times, to, to have him with me through those times, to guide me by his spirit. 
So, so he can guide me with his power that he gives by his spirit to rise above the storms, to walk through them with that confidence, with that comfort, with that courage, with that peace and that joy, all of those things which come from him. But ultimately, here we are. The choice is yours. And for the next few moments of our time uh, during this first word, I, I want to talk about two, two points, and that is, number one, life choices, and then we're going to follow that with right choices. So life choices and right choices. And if you're taking notes somewhere this morning, these are going to be the two areas that we have for the remainder of our time. Jesus taught that we must choose one of two ways to live our lives. There are two and only two life choices that we must make to be a faithful Christian or to be an indifferent sinner. Jesus, as he often does, illustrates the extreme contrast between the two life choices. And in our passage in Matthew 7, Jesus described two gates, two ways, two destinies, two trees, two houses, and two types of individuals. Jesus carefully explained there is the straight gate and the narrow way which leads to life. Straight is defined as narrow and also suggests the, the closely defined path God ordains to travel on to gain his approval. Looking further, this also alludes to that which is hemmed in a narrow gorge between two rocks which can be seen, as I see it, kind of like a river flowing. It's hemmed between the two. You know, water often takes the path of least resistance. But did you know that if you drip water on a rock long enough, it's going to make a little divot in that rock, and that rock may eventually break to where that water can just go completely through that? This, is, this, is, this, this path, this narrow path, this straight gate is considered to be an unfrequented road because it's narrow and runs counter to the tendencies of most people. Not many find this pathway. Not many pass through the narrow gate, as Jesus insisted, for, for it is hidden from the view of those who are determined to follow their own sinful plans, which is why it is ever so important for us to search for the right way to search for His way. With intensity, we must long to please the Almighty. This is never the way taken by the proud or the arrogant. You won't find pride on this road. You won't find arrogancy on this road. You won't find selfishness on this road. And I'm not one to point fingers, but I can't help but be reminded of the Pharisee and the publican who both went to the temple to pray and the vast difference between the way they prayed. The Pharisee prayed about all the great things that he did. Yep, I fasted this many days. I fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I gave $16 million in the offering last week. Jesus' name. Um, I, I did this and I did that. Look at me, Lord, and all the things that I did. I did this. I did that. Whereas the publican came to the altar. Came to the altar broken. 
broken. He, he, he barely made it to the altar. I see it in my head. He was just crawling along. Lord, he may have felt worthless. He may have felt like he just wasn't good enough, but there he came. But there he came to the altar, and he said, he looked it up. He, he lifted his hands, and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Rather than saying all these things or, or listing all these things, he knew that he had messed up. He knew that he had done wrong. And so we see that difference. He swallowed his pride and said, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Like this Pharisee that we read about, as well as others for that matter, other often people have nearly wrecked their lives through foolish choices before they discover there is a far better road to travel. And although our companions on the narrow road may be few, their fellowship can be, and I know many of you can testify, is a tremendous help and encouragement. With them, we can share uh, the, the awesome view of what God has done for us in the past. Brother Keith, I'm so thankful for our times that, that we can come together and lift each other up. Where, where I show up on a Sunday morning and it's God appointed that you and I have discussions that we have. Where I stay late on Saturday nights and you and I have the discussions that we have. You see church, there's got to be more of that. There's got to be more of that organic fellowship. And I know, I know we've got a great fellowship of believers here. And I love it when we all stick around after service for an hour or two or whatnot, and we have these discussions, sometimes getting in trouble maybe by our spouses, but, but we have these discussions, and, and, uh, and it's just organic, it's authentic, and we're building each other up, and we're lifting each other up, and we're all walking that straight and narrow together. And we're all walking with the Lord on that straight and narrow together. And I, I never... I can tell you, I probably have never left this place empty-handed. I've never left this place empty. I've always been filled. <laughs> he wants to fill you here this morning, church. He wants to make sure that you leave full. You may be empty during the week. You might be empty. You probably will be empty during the week, but you can lift him up during the week, and he can remain. He can help you to remain full. He can fill your cup so that it can overflow, so that it can flow over to Brother Jeff or Brother Sal or Sister Alicia. It can flow over to them. Maybe I'm feeling led to pray for somebody. Maybe I'm feeling led to call somebody. Maybe I'm feeling led to text somebody. Do it. That's the overflow. We can share with each other. We can look what he has done for us. And we can also pray together with expectancy as to what he will do in the future. You see, we have to remember Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. And I'm so thankful for it. He's the one that stands at the narrow gate. He's the one that stands at the gate of that sheepfold. He will give greater understanding to us as we continue to walk with him and stay under that, that, that the shadow of his wing, stay under the, the swing of his great uh, shepherd tool. I can't remember what the... The staff, thank you. <laughs> In Proverbs 4.19, go there for, with me. The way of the wicked, he says, is as darkness. They know, not, they know not at what they stumble. 
And just one verse above that, verse 18, we read, but the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So we walk in this hope, this hope that we find with the great shepherd. We travel on in victory to a holy city where there will be no night. But before we move forward with the next set of two, we also read of many entering in at what Jesus described as the wide gate. There is nothing at this entry to obstruct the careless and those who feel no guilt or conviction for their wrongdoings. Many have passed through this gate, and those who have have given little thought of where the road beyond them may be leading. It's like me on the road. I couldn't see in front of me. I can't see where I'm going. It wasn't my fault, but, but this is people putting things in front of them. You know, it's that instant gratification. It's that, I'm going to say it, microwave faith that's here today and gone tomorrow. You know, if you, we cooked something in the crock pot yesterday. We, we had a bunch of soup yesterday. So, so we made this crock pot meal and it took eight hours to cook. And by the time it was done, guess what? It was hot. It was so hot. And so we turned the crock pot off after it was all said and done, and it was still hot like two hours later. It was still hot to the taste. But for lunch that day, we had these microwave soups that we inherited from somebody, I think from my mother-in-law. And so we made those, and we put those in the microwave. Guess how long it took those to get cool? Like five minutes. You see, it's that microwave faith. It's that, it's, that, it's that quick today, gone tomorrow that's hot right now, but then it cools down so quickly. You see, we've got to have more of that, that slow cooker faith, Sister Alicia, that one that takes the eight to ten hours, and then it's hot, and then it's so hot, and then it's burning within you, and it never goes away because when it does, you just plug it back in again. <laughs> well, I better get back to my notes here. Passing through this wide gate, many have passed. Those who have, have, have given little thought of where the road beyond them may be leading. They, they take no thought, rather. They are like ships without a rudder. A ship without a rudder is what? What's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they, 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 they're, they're, those ships are tossed to and fro at an angry sea. They're tossed through and th- to and throw with the, with the storms. They, they are deceived into thinking that certain religious rituals and charitable deeds will save their soul. They don't find themselves there alone, but, but they follow what the, next person, the person next to them is doing. One person's doing it, the other person's like, hmm, I like that. That follows more of what I was thinking. That's where we get into trouble. They don't... They don't find themselves there alone. It, it, you see, it's easy to take the path of least resistance. Who that walk, who, those who walk the broad way and the wide gate and, and know the path, you, you know, that path that leads to destruction. Who, who among them won't believe, would believe this easy road will end in eternal damnation? It is a wonder and a curiosity of mine and maybe yours too thinking of those who find themselves on this wide road. It's a wonder if they have experienced or noticed the abounding sorrow and sadness that is there along the way. And while there may be much entertainment and distractions, these things come at a terrific cost. There may even be some excitement and joy. But like that, but what would one imagine as a 
as a dreamy day on the beach uh, in, in the tropics, uh, the conditions can, can quickly change into a raging storm. There are also com companions on this wide road, and, and they often struggle with personal problems that they try to solve on their own, but never will solve on their own. Some may be bound with habits and addictions. Some may be consumed with loneliness and regrets. Many have wept of, promise, of promises uh, themselves over and promised themselves over and over again uh, that they will do better, that somehow they will break away from their evil behavior. You may have heard the saying, the road to hell is full of good intentions. Good intentions, unless acted upon, result in nothing. Now let me just say one more thing about this narrow gate and Jesus being the shepherd. We read the scripture that he stands at the gate and that he knows his sheep by name. Then we read about the sheep getting lost and how we rejoice over the one that was found rather than the 99 that are here. And I had this thought cross my mind because I felt that there, there, there may be a, a slight resistance in the form of, well, ain't no one going to call me a sheep. I would rather be a sheep in the sheepfold of the Lord under the shadow of the great shepherd. Why? Because the alternative is grim. The way I see it, and, and I liken the alternative to being a pig or a swine. And what did Jesus do with the pigs? He told us not to cast our pearls of great price before them. He sent the pigs off the side of the cliff to their death because they were possessed with the evil spirit and he would only allow that to happen. Life without the shepherd, while it may sound a bit rash, will lead a person to be like those pigs, jumping off the cliff without him, leading to an eternal death without him. Which leads me right into the two destinies. You see, there is no third way. There is no other option. We are either on the road to heaven or on the road to hell. There is no... <laughs> There's no purgatory where one can buy themselves out of hell. There's no opportunity after we die to make things right. One leads to destruction while the other leads to life. Could any issue be of more importance than this? We must have a made-up mind. Our eyes may, must be firmly fixed upon the prize that lies before us. We must be willing to pay any price or to face any difficulty in order to spend eternity with Christ. What good is anything we, have, we may have here or may obtain if in the end we fail to gain God's approval? Jesus asked this same question in Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 7. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We can come to the conclusion that we will have troubles here. And we can accept that as a matter of fact. It's not really if, but when. Some things that happen in life can be devastating. But, but to lose one's soul is the greatest of all possible losses, for it is the loss of heaven. It is the loss of eternal life. It's the loss of hope. It's the loss of peace, and it's the loss of joy. And while we may hop over the next illusion, we will come back to it. And, and as we continue regarding these two destinies, may there be a desire that rests all over this place to do the will of God.
Because those and only those who do the will of God shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. The key word being do. We talked about intentions moments ago. What we don't read is those who have good intentions to do. No, it is simply do. Remember to be a hearer and a doer. And I will come back to that here in just a little bit. And while I just let that settle for a moment, as we move on to the next image of twos, Matthew chapter 7, we see two trees beginning with verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth, forth, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. The good, free, excuse me, the good tree does what? It brings forth good fruit. The corrupt tree does what? Brings forth evil fruit. The good tree cannot produce evil fruit and vice versa. And the end result for the corrupt tree is eternal damnation. Cut down. Thrown into the fire. Now, now we don't read much about, about the good fruit, uh, but, and this is why it's important to read more than one verse in a passage, especially like this one, because, and I'm not saying you will, but it can kind of be taken out of context. Thankfully, we read of the stark contrast between the other sets of twos here, and we can put two and two together for this one and what it, what it means for the good tree. As well, we can read of other times in Scripture uh, of this good fruit. This good fruit is that which stems inside of a person, and that is only how the good fruit can be produced. We can also liken this to the fruit of the Spirit. And since it is the fruit of the Spirit, it can only come by... Help me. The Spirit. So we need the Spirit of God residing in us to produce this good fruit. Furthermore, good fruit cannot be produced without the Spirit. If you desire to produce good fruit, be filled with the Spirit. You can be filled today if you haven't been. If you have been, continue to walk in that. Continue to seek the Lord and allow the fruits from His Spirit, of His Spirit, to manifest from that infilling, from that transformation that has, been, that has taken place within. You see, these fruits continue to grow as we act on, as we do the words that we read and hear. Which, which brings me to the two foundations, the rock and the sand. Jesus dealt with, with uh, mankind's greatest need. The need to both hear his word and obey his word. In verses 24 through 27, we read of two foundations, the rock and the sand. Jesus hearing and doing the word, excuse me, Jesus hearing and doing the word to two men who teach, who each built the house, the one upon the rock and the other upon the sand. In the time of the storm, everyone recognizes the need for shelter, um, but not everyone will adequately prepare in this life for the future, the future storms. In his comparison, Jesus tells us that the individual who hears the word and follows his ways is likened to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. This man was wise because he was looking carefully to the future. During those times which we will refer to as calm times where, where everything seems to be going okay, there may seem to be no need to take extra precautions. There may seem to be no need to prepare. Ah, <laughs> Everything's going great. What do I have to, well, not that you have to worry, but, but what do I have to prepare for? 
People that walk by you every day probably cannot tell whether a person has built his life upon the rock of Christ's teachings. But when those storms of life come, when it gets a little bit windy and the rainfall begins to get so heavy, the, the follower of Jesus has an assurance that others do not have. David proclaimed, speaking of Jehovah in Psalm 62, 6, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Christ is our rock. And what a rock. Our footing is secure in Him, regardless of our circumstances. He remains the same in our good times and in our bad times. He remains the same. When our hearts are rejoicing and when they are broken, Jesus is there. Whether you have recovered from a terrible crisis or whether the pain persists, Jesus is there. And go to verse 25 of Matthew, Matthew 7 real quick because I just want to show you this. It says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it did what? Beat upon that house. Now go to verse 27. And keep that, keep that last part away. Don't, don't. Okay, I said verse 27. And when the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now go back to verse 25 again. 25. Oh, they're the same. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. No, there is no typo there. They are exactly the same. And I hope you saw it too. The same storm buffeted both the wise man's house built upon the rock and the foolish man's house built upon the sand. Both homes may have been built with the same type of materials and they may have looked exactly the same in appearance, but here's the difference. Here's the difference. Ah, one house was built on the solid. Somebody say solid. The solid foundation. The solid rock. While the other was built on shifting. Somebody say shifting. The shifting sand. One can relate the shifting sand to that which is maybe carried away by everything. That which is not laid secure with, with Christ. You know, some, some ministers have fallen away from this truth because of a change that they wanted. Some pastors, some, some leaders and saints have left the truth of God's word because it did not line up with their thought. And so they began to build, build on that shifting sand. Now, I may, I may get in trouble for saying this and probably not here, but guess what? The truth hurts. The truth hurts. Positions that people take with regard to the Bible are often changing. But God's word remains the same. Let me say it again. God's word remains the same. It does not change. It does not change if I want it to. It does not change if you want it to. For years, people have tried to change it and have published various versions and translations of the Word and, and have published it to their own thought and have, and have changed it to match their thought. But the Word cannot change. It does not change. The truth is not a relative thing. The truth is the truth and nothing but the truth. And so help me God, I choose and will choose and God help me to always choose to follow the truth and lead by the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
based on Christ's parables of the wise and foolish builders, Edward Mote wrote the following refrain for his hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, where he says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Stay on the rock. Stay on the rock. Stand secure with Jesus. Hallelujah. And in moving on to the last two reference, we find two houses. One that stands and one that falls. A natural disaster can speak to us like nothing else can. Jesus made use of this principle as we can read in teaching this parable. The results of the unwise builder's decision was catastrophic. As we read in verse 27, the later portion, his house fell and great was the fall of it. There was nothing left but complete and irreparable ruin. This parable teaches about the foundation, not the quality of the materials in the house. It is our decision to build our lives on Christ, not our good works that makes the house stand. The wise person's house stood, though it was pummeled by rain and probably shaken by wind. No doubt it was built on higher ground, on the rocky area where the flood waters could not reach it. Before beginning to build, the wise man had determined the plan had to determine the plan where the foundation was to be laid firm. And where, where, where the foundation was to be laid was firm. His life and the lives of his family members may have depended on making the right decision. He built his life on the rock, Christ Jesus. And if you could imagine with me for a moment, heaven, God sitting on the throne just wise and merciful with the Lamb's book of life and those whose names written in it and those who will spend eternity with him. To give this some imagery, uh, imagine some, some files on, that are kept on everyone in the past who have served God as well as those who did not. You see, the Old Testament records so many uh, show many of these men, women, and young people who face tremendous challenges. In some cases, they obviously made some bad decisions. In other cases, they showed remarkable courage and through faith did great exploits. Then come the files of the many who succumbed to the pressures of their day and miserably failed. Some had the opportunity to do what is right. But they chose they chose. They chose to do that which was wrong or evil. Adam and Eve, someone you may hear preached about a lot concerning the matter of choices, made the choice to disobey God's specific command in the Garden of Eden. They had so much to lose and nothing to gain from the choice they made. For them, it was a matter of sin and shame or innocence and delight. They could have enjoyed all the blessings the Lord had provided for them. They could have continued in the wonderful fellowship they had enjoyed with God. But instead, Adam and Eve opted to partake of that which was forbidden. They showed a blatant disregard for what God had purposed in their lives. Sin has the power to deceive. It can convince the disobedient that right is wrong and wrong is right. It convinced Aaron, though he had seen miraculous events in Egypt, to make a molten calf for the nation of Israel to worship. The influence of sin caused Achan to steal and hide part of the spoils from Jericho 
in the earth with his tent. Sin even misled the judges Gideon and Samson who had been mightily used of the Lord. It persuaded King David to commit adultery that he could, that he could commit adultery and murder and still serve God. It took determination and courage to, to make the right choices and to take a firm stand against the forces of evil. Moses was one of those who elected to obey the commands of Jehovah regarding uh, the difficulties that he faced. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter beginning with verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had come to years, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What a determination that was, choosing to suffer affliction over the enjoyment of sin for a season. Uh, you see, and you've heard that this enjoyment is only temporal. It, it does not last forever, but it, but, it, but it can last forever. So choose wisely, child of God. Choose with the understanding that you have been given here this morning, right or wrong. The choice is yours. If ever a person stood at a critical and dramatic crossroads in life, it was Esther, Queen of Persia. Her people had been condemned by a royal decree and within a few months were due to be slaughtered. Esther appeared to be the greatest hope for the survival of the Jews. But for 30 days, the king had not called her. She knew she would have to take a stand against Haman, the favorite amid the chief court. Looking at Esther 4.16, Esther with tremendous courage said, Go! Gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast, fast likewise, so, I will, so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And deliverance was set forth, because Esther made the choice. While deliverance happened to Joseph, David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others because they made the right choices, many times the upright suffered long-lasting imprisonment, even to death. Some were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Naboth, who refused to sell his vineyard to, see, to King Ahab, chose the honorable course, yet through Jezebel's treachery he was stoned to death. Unto death, these that we just heard about and more kept their faith in the Lord, kept their security in Him, and furthermore, kept their eternity with Him. There was certainly potential to be influenced, but ultimately they were not influenced. In looking back at the parables we see in Matthew 7, Jesus gave stern warnings about the influences that can destroy us. Jesus was careful to caution the disciples against false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, he told them, but inwardly they are what? Evening wolves. In Mark 13, 6, we read, For many, he stated, shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. The Lord's emphasis on the word many should be that of a wake-up call. In reference to the broad way that leads to destruction, he said, May there, many there be which go thereat. These are those, again, who made a great profession but had no real relationship with him. Jesus said that many would tell of great things they had done in his name. Of these people, the Lord said, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. In his parable of the marriage feast, Jesus taught that not everyone who receives an invitation to obey the gospel will respond to it. And of those that do, not everyone will meet the requirements of the kingdom. For we read in the parable found in Matthew 22, verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. 
Everything about Christ's final words on the mount show that only the dedicated and the diligent will prevail. The disciples were certainly aware of this fact, for we read in Luke 13, verse 23, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. On the other hand, the indecisive person can be compared to, to a motorist who had gotten his car stuck in the snow on the side of the road and, and is confused as to what to do. He may have tried to rock his vehicle back and forth but, and changing gears, reverse to drive, drive to reverse, and so on and so forth. But, but if there's a sheet of ice under the snow, the insistent driver may be losing ground and just simply spinning his tires. Now, now, there's something to think about the next time you get stuck in the snow, right? Right and wrong choices, right? The, you see, there, there's a time to call for help. There's a time to realize only God can bring us out of our dilemmas. May we be like the poor man, as we read about in Psalm 34, who cried out saying, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from some of my fears, all of my fears. Who cried out, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his fears. Oh, thank you, Jesus. May we cry out to Jesus today and every day. And here we remain with a choice. You see, the choice is yours, church. Will you choose the right or will you choose the wrong? Will you choose that which is everlasting or will you choose that is merely temporal? As the world around us grows more and more sinful in nature, and while you may not see it as such, it's happening. It's nothing new as it's been happening since forever ago, but the world is constantly waxing worse and worse. The world is suffering even though they may not see it or realize it because of their lack of fear of God before their eyes. Consequences for actions are thrown out the door and never considered, and it hurts my heart to think about it, but it's happening. But then, when those things come, may we look up and lift up our heads, for our redemption draws nigh. Why should we wait to receive the best of the Lord Jesus? Why should we wait? Everything in our world seems to be sinking deeper and deeper into this shifting sand, this quicksand of immorality and sin. Pastor Lucas, you and I talked very briefly the other day, perhaps about not about this specifically, but throughout our conversation, my mind kept rolling of the world falling, shifting away, and the world waxing worse and worse, and how we, there's just no way we can see it getting any better. Chris, you and I have had discussions about what in the world is happening in the world. Some of you may have received that really loud emergency broadcast on your phone the other day. And your mind went here and it went there. The world is sinking deeper and deeper. During a time of apostasy, Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel and posted a question to the nation of Israel. 1 Kings 18, 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him not a word. Certainly, you and I who live in the 21st century are faced with a similar question as to whom we will serve. If you put up my title screen real quick again, there's two roads. There's no, there's no middle. Do you see a middle there? Because I don't. There's one way 
or there's another. There's right and there's wrong. The choice is yours. There's no middle. Jesus declared in Matthew 12, 30, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me is scattered abroad. Could it be that while we profess to serve Christ by our daily life choices, we actually serve ourselves? There has to be a commitment that takes, beyond, takes us beyond a shallow profession. We are saved to serve. Nothing else in this world can bring the satisfaction the commitment to the cause of Christ can bring. Thankfully, we can choose the right path. And thankfully, God has promised he will go with us every step of the way and will order our steps so long as we are good. He never leaves us to struggle on our own in desperate situations and never abandons us when we call on his name. He was there with John the Baptist while imprisoned and when he was beheaded. He stood by Peter in the prison and watched over Paul for a night and day in the deep. He was with Stephen when he was stoned and John on the Isle of Patmos. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Are we sometimes hurt by others? Yes. Are we confused at times? Possibly. But Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Today is the day to make the right decision to choose the narrow road that leads to everlasting life with Jesus Christ. Today is the day to sow to the Spirit, to reap life everlasting. Today is the day to no longer sow to the flesh. You see, in a radically erroneous world that is shifting on sand, walking the wide road, and building on that which is perishable, there is a greater call for the church to build on the rock, to walk the narrow road, and build with that which lasts forever. Now is the time. The call for what I'll say is radical Christianity, for radical discipleship, for, for radical belief, to, to believe in him at the cost of everything, to follow him, stand with me, at the cost of everything. You see, we, 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 I ask you this morning, who will stand in the face of adversity, of tormentors? Who will not bow like the three Hebrew boys? Who will choose the rock upon which to lay your foundation? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you for being that rock, for being the rock, for being the chief cornerstone in my life, that which I desire to build upon everything, Lord Jesus. So when those storms may come in my life as they have, my house does not fall, but it stays standing because I am built upon you. Lord, I pray for every person here today, Lord Jesus, that, that they would build on you, you being that firm foundation. Lord, that they, that they would not look to the right or to the left, but that we would remain focused on you, that we would choose the right path even when it hurts each and every time. Whether there may be pain, whether there may be, there may be sorrow, there's even greater joy and there's even greater peace on that road, on that path that we choose when we follow you. I pray everything right now and I pray all these things, your blessing upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. See you back here. Amen. Amen. See you back here in about 10 minutes.